Well, we continue to look at key principles and doctrines we here at Lincoln Baptist believe are foundational to faith. And today we look at the doctrine of man. Now, when we consider doctrine in reference to the Bible, we could say that doctrine is scriptural teaching on theological truths. In other words, we're using the Bible to teach us about the Bible. And as we look at the doctrine of man, we're going to use the Bible to teach us about creation and the covenant between man and God. And we're not trying to reinvent the wheel or create anything new here. We're simply looking at how the Bible teaches us about key principles that God has set before in his word. It's also important that we've already covered two key doctrines. The doctrine of scripture, where we learned the Bible is reliable and a truthful source of authority. We also looked at the doctrine of God and saw that there was key attributes and characteristics of God that are unique to him. Now, when we take both of these things into consideration, our view of the doctrine of man must be steeped in scripture, that truthful and reliable source of authority, and it should not break the character of God, that unique attribute or characteristics that we find in him. In other words, each foundational doctrine builds upon the other to bring about that complete knowledge and understanding in the word of God. Now, as we come to the doctrine of man, the first key question I want to ask is, what do we mean by man? What do we mean by man? It seems unusual to refer to all of humanity, all of humankind, with the word man. Specifically, there is this current rise in our society to use gender-neutral terms such as people or humankind rather than man. However, read Genesis 5 and from verse 1. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them, and he named them mankind when they were created. The phrase mankind comes from the root word Adam, which is where we get the name Adam from, which means man or mankind. Now, of course, throughout the Bible, we do see gender neutral terms used as they or sometimes we see men and women or brothers and sisters. And I believe the Christian Standard Version has done a really good job at carefully seeking to bring in the correct uh, general uh, term for gender at the right moments in Scripture. However, every time where the Bible talks about humans or all of humankind, God uses the general version of the word Adam, mankind, and he named them mankind when they were created. Therefore, for the purpose of our foundational doctrine session on the doctrine of man, we consider man or mankind being referring to all people, all humankind from the beginning of time to the end of time. So if there's a human being, they come into the doctrine of man, the doctrine of mankind. Now, as we begin to work our way through this doctrine, the first key question that comes out from it is why were we created? Why were humans created? Why is there people? Now, society rephrases this question as what is the meaning of life or what is the purpose of my life? And as we look at these questions, I had a quick flick through Google Books and really I stopped counting after 400 different books with the sole purpose of bringing an answer to this question. What is the meaning of life? What is the purpose of my life? Or as the Doctrine Outlook sees it as why were we created? Yeah, the Bible is very clear on our purpose and on the reason that we have been created. Ephesians chapter 1 and from verse 11. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. We are created to give glory to God. 
Paul discussing the freedom of the Christian says this in 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. We are to do all things in life for the glory of God. And the word glory means to bring honour or praise, to bring high renown, to magnify, to lift up the high, uh, the name of an individual. Uh, Jude 25 really summarises this really well in reference to Jesus. To the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. We're to magnify Jesus, we're to lift his name high, we're to bring him high renown and glory. Now, God in his grace has not made our purpose to be just a one-way relationship where we give God all the glory and lift up his name on high but get nothing in return. He in fact brings a two-way relationship and invites us in to enjoy his presence. John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Our joy in glorifying God is that we get to draw close to him and delight in his presence. The pleasing of God and the glorifying of him and to find joy in his character and his blessing is the two-way relationship that we have the privilege of being part of. So when we ask the question, why were we created? What is the purpose of my life? What is the meaning of life? The Christian's response from the Bible is that we were created to glorify God and our purpose is to find joy and delight in his presence. That is the meaning of the life of a faithful servant in Christ. Well, if that's the meaning to why we were created, the next question often comes, well, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Why does the Bible declare that we are made or created in the image of God? Well, Genesis 1.27 brings us this verse. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Now, often Christians take uh, just as fact that God created mankind, but what we tend to struggle with is what it means to be made in his image. Well, the two words used in Hebrew here in this passage are the first one, selim, in verse 26, which refers to a likeness of, and the second one is demut, which refers to an image. So we have selim demut, in the likeness of an image. Now, both these words in the Hebrew really mean similar but not identical. That we are selim demut, we are similar but not identical. So when we take this into account and we, and we go back to Genesis 1.27, we could read it this way. So God created mankind to be similar but not identical to God. He created them, male and female, he created them. Like a child is similar and representing of their parents, so we are similar and represent God as his creation. The problem in understanding this really is our sinful state. We've distorted what it means to be in the likeness of God. We know that James 3.9 says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. We are to glorify God, we're to bring him high renown as our purpose, yet we sin against him and all of his creation. That doesn't mean that we haven't been made in his likeness, rather it means that we've distorted what it means to be in his image. And this distortion really can't be made pure until the return of Jesus and sin is dealt with and we're in that eternal heavenly realm. Yet we do have hope in the current life as we can be daily sanctified through the word of God. 
What do I mean by sanctified? Well, go to 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, who with unfailed faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. To be sanctified is to be daily becoming more like Jesus. It's a daily death to the sin in our lives and a daily lifting up the cross of Christ. It's the change in our hearts as we seek to be more like Christ. It's the changing of how we think and how we behave. We're made similar but not identical to God. We have distorted that with our sin and so we need to be sanctified by Christ until we reach that day of glory in heaven so that we're daily becoming more like Christ and daily returning to that pure image of being made in the image of God. So we are made to glorify God. Sin has distorted that. But as we're daily sanctified, we begin to see that we are made similar but not identical to God. Now, a question that often comes up when we're talking about the creation of mankind is what are we made of? Now, it seems an odd question and a lot of people would probably answer it with, you know, cells and water and what the human body is made of. But we're trying to go a little bit deeper here. And again, this is scriptural truths. This is theological truths. We're trying to delve deeper into the word of God. So we have this question, what are we made of? And really there are three schools of thought. The first thought is trichotomy, that man is made up of the physical body as part one, the soul as part two, and the spirit as part three, with the spirit being that elevated soul of when you become a Christian. The second view is a dichotomy, that man is made up first of a physical body and then second, an interchangeable soul and spirit. It's still this view that we have a soul and spirit and that soul and spirit really communes with God, yet many in this view believe that soul and spirit is an interchangeable word and therefore it's a dichotomy. There's two elements, not three. And then there's a third option and that's monism, often the view of atheists. A man only lives a physical life. There are no other elements. And it's this view that believes when you're dead, you're dead. There's nothing afterwards. There's no soul, no spirit, and your physical body brings an end to your life. The Bible, though, is very, very clear as we work our way through Scripture. We do indeed have a soul. Therefore, we're not going to this evening really argue the monism view. And if you do know someone that's not a Christian, it's really good to ask them if they believe in a soul or spirit. And if they do believe in one, ask them whether they think their soul and spirit will go to hell or heaven or somewhere else after death. It's a really good witnessing opportunity to get away from just death in a human form, but talking about what happens to the soul. The issue of whether we take a trichotomy view or a dichotomy view is a little bit more problematic. There really is evidence for both in Scripture. And what I want to show you is that there is a certainty over having a soul and spirit and to show that we are simply not just a physical body, but there is more to us than that. In Matthew 10, 28, we read, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Note the fact here that someone can destroy a whole person's being and that whole person's being is both physical and spirit, the soul. The whole being includes the soul, that inner being, that part of us that has an eternal element that will either go to hell or to heaven. And then when talking about sexual sin, Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, 5 states, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that's the physical, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. The need to die to self, that being the case here because of physical temptation of sexual sin, needs to occur 
for Jesus to save the spirit of a man. Is the spirit different from the soul in Matthew 10, 28? Are they the same? Either way, once again, what we're seeing is that, yes, there's an outer being, that physical body that we're made of, but there's an inner being, a soul, a spirit that thinks and looks eternally between hell and heaven and in that eternal realm of our heavenly father. It is this spirit or soul that Jesus redeems. This is further evidence in James 2.26, which says, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. The body can't survive without the spirit. When God calls our spirit home to eternity and in his presence, the body is no longer alive. The body therefore physically dies. When we take our purpose to glorify God and combine it with ourselves being more than a body, in fact, having a soul or spirit, then we get Mark 12, 30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. You see, our purpose of our meaning to life, our purpose for being created is to glorify God. And by loving him as the creator God and the author of our salvation with our entire being, which is not just physical attending church, but is spiritual with our inner being, we worship and glorify God. So we're created by God, we're created in his image, and we're not of a monism view, which is we're only physical. Instead, we're a dichotomy or trichotomy where there's a spiritual element to our lives. Some other key big questions that are asked in the doctrine of man is, what are the implications of male and female? This comes up quite a lot in the Old Testament. What does God mean by male and female? What about genders? What about our current society in distorting this uh, gender of female and male? And then another question that comes from that is, how does this impact our view of submission and headship? Because the Bible talks a lot about male and female and then talks a lot about submission and headship within a marital home, within a family, within a church, within the world. And so to really delve into these questions and some of these answers that that come from scripture, we need to return back to Genesis 1.27, where we've been camped out for a little while now. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So from this one verse, we get that God has created mankind, that God has created them for a purpose, that God has made them in his image, and now we're seeing that he's made them male and female. Again, I want to go to Genesis 5 from verse 1. This is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them, male and female, and blessed them, and he named them mankind when they were created. You see, it was God's design to make both man and woman, male and female. God made this man and this woman so that they would be joined together, effectively two becoming one in marriage. That is why it said in Genesis that the man will leave his family and cling to his wife, Genesis 2.24. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. We also know that God said, let us make man in our image. He was creating a people who would have similar but not identical unity that is found in the Trinity. We are to recognise that we're not random people, never connecting. Instead, we are similar to the Trinity. We find relationship, communication and mutual love and affection towards one another. However, it goes even deeper than that. God made both male and female in his image, in his likeness. His creation, man and woman, have equality in his eyes. That being, he sees them as equally valuable and equally important. 
And there's no such thing as a, a best or worst sex. So have male and female created to have unity together, created to become one flesh, created in equal love. There is no higher or lower class sex here, male and female with equal love, care and value in the eyes of God. However, what is the implications of this and the matter of headship? Again, remember we are similar but not the same as God. Therefore, we should be able to see similar but not exact same relationships and roles. For instance, 1 Corinthians 11.3 which says, But I want you to realise that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Here we see two things. Firstly, that the head of Jesus is God the Father, Christ being the head of every man. However, we secondly see this phrasing that the head of the woman is man. We have equality in the Trinity, but differing roles. Therefore, we have equality in marriage and church leadership, but differing roles. And there's evidence of this headship pre-sin. We know that Adam was created before Eve. We did not see the distinction in any of the animals, but we clearly have this distinction with mankind that Adam was made before Eve. We know that Eve was created to help Adam, Genesis 2.18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. This is then worked out later in the New Testament when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.9, neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Now at no point, no point at all, does the Bible teach that woman is lesser than a man or a man is somehow more than a woman. However, it is clear that men and women play differing roles in God's design and his creation. We know that Satan approached Eve first when seeking to bring about sin and rejection of God. There is temptation to reverse God's created headship. There is a wedge being driven into this equality of marriage and what we find particularly interesting is that when Adam committed the sin, God came to speak to Adam. Eve was tempted, then became the tempter and tempted Adam. Eve was tempted to eat that fruit and then gave it to Adam. But it was Adam's sin in falling into temptation that brought rebuke from God. Why is this the case? Well, because it was with Adam that God had made the covenant, that life and death promise. It was in Adam's failure to keep this covenant that God brought about judgment. That is why we read in 1 Corinthians 15.22, for as in Adam, all will die. And in Romans 5.15, but the gift is not like the trespass, for if, if the many died by the trespass of the one man. It is through the sin of Adam, who was head over Eve with the covenant of God, that we are now tarnished by his sin. And we see this headship all the way through the Bible. We see it in the marriage, Ephesians 5. We see it in ministry, 1 Corinthians 11 and 1 Timothy 2. And we see in the family through the Ten Commandments and Ephesians 5 and Galatians when the children are to be respectful, honouring and obedient to their parents. And what I want you to see is that headship isn't just a verse in 1 Timothy 1. Headship is from creation to the end of time and God has created that within the Trinity and within his creation within mankind. But where I want you to go tonight is Titus 2. We've gone through it already in our doctrine series, but Titus 2 really shows the spectrum of differing roles between male and female, young and old. So Titus 2. 
Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith, in love and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to too much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. Older men, older women, younger women and younger men, all important, all valued by God, but all with differing roles and responsibilities. Older men are to set godly examples, leading those around them with great endurance. Older women are to be discipling younger women, encouraging them to be godly in their outlook. Younger women are to be pure, home-loving and supportive of their families. Younger men are to be self-controlled, dying to self and lifting up their cross daily. Conversely to all of this, some would refute, is the male headship by quoting Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. However, it's important to understand the context of that passage. In dispute of those who find themselves as more important, Paul declares that all through Christ are valued and no one person is put down. He stays within the biblical view of headship. He isn't questioning roles, rather he questions anyone who would think they should be elevated above another while salvation in Christ is the great equaliser. So there we have it. We have the doctrine of man. We are made in the image of God. We're made to glorify God. We're made to delight in God. We have been made male and female and we are loved equally by God and we're to serve God in differing roles. Now to finish a little bit differently this week, I want you to consider certain questions and and really do take some time to consider these because really it's talking about your very life and its meaning. So the three questions will be coming up on the screen. Let me read them briefly. Number one, what is the purpose of your life? Number two, what unique skills and characteristics has God given you? Number three, how does your marriage, relationships and church reflect the matter of headship? As you work through these questions and as you really try and find answers to them, go to God's word, just as we have done in this session, and see what God's word tells you about your purpose, about your unique skills and about headship within the doctrine of man. Let's pray together and then you can spend some time on those questions. Father, we do thank you that we are not random, that we do have indeed a purpose. We praise you that we've been made in your image, that we carry some of your characteristics and attributes. Father, we pray as faithful servants, we would reflect you in our lives. Father, we pray that anyone that is wondering and scratching their heads as to the meaning of their own life, that you would give them great confidence and assurance that you love them, that you created them, that you have a purpose for them, and that you seek a two-way relationship with them. Father, we pray that we would be God-honouring in our churches, in our marriages, and Father, we pray that the headship that you have created would be true, that we would be confident in it, and that we would not be apologetic for following the word of God. And so, Father, we pray that you bless us as we work through these questions and help us have that great confidence assurance in Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.